Hello and welcome back to Koala Moon, a podcast of original children's bedtime stories and meditations designed to make bedtime a dream. Welcome to the Coco Clubhouse, new recruits. Tonight we're saying hi to Thea and Nora in Seattle, Eponine, Nora Mia and Cam from Michigan, Winnie from Portland and Maddie, Raven and Caleb from Australia. Hi guys and welcome. Thank you, thank you for joining us and supporting the show. Tonight's tale talks about inspiration. Now, who knows when a flash of inspiration will strike? It's a slippery fish of a thing, a shooting star of thought, a maddeningly mysterious magic moment. Have you ever been doing nothing, only to find yourself suddenly galvanised into action because of something you've thought of or seen? That is the curious nature of inspiration, and I think its unreliability is partly why it's so magic. You can't force it, but trust that it'll come when you need it. Sometimes it occurs when I'm cooking and I realise two ingredients will go perfectly together. And sometimes it comes when I'm writing these introductions or working on a painting and feeling a bit stuck. Well, in tonight's story, we are making our way back to the village of Lower Starry Skies, where a new cafe has opened up, the Dimpled Dumpling. Its owner, Uma, has some stories to share. And it seems like she has a little bit of mystical magic helping her do so. Before we begin, a quick message for the grown-ups. If you'd like to support our podcast, enjoy ad-free listening, unlock four bonus stories per month, and much, much more, you can join Coco Club. Subscribe in just two taps via the link in the show notes. But now, here's a quick word from our sponsors. Lie back and relax. As I begin The Dimpled Dumpling and the Croissant Moon by Jane Thomas. If you ever visit the village of Lower Starry Skies, you would think that nothing had changed there for hundreds of years. And you'd almost be right, because they are the same buildings and the same lanes and the same wrought iron gates that have been in place since the village first began. But every now and then, something does change. Unless you lived there, you would hardly be likely to notice. But each time one shop closes and another one opens, each time a new school teacher arrives, and each time someone brings a new dog or cat to live with them, everyone in Lower Starry Skies notices. Come to that. The dogs and cats notice new arrivals too. There are new smells to be sniffed, and new lost balls to find, and new things to bark at through the window. Just a few weeks ago, one of the storefronts near the wool shop got a new coat of paint. Everyone in the village had a good old gossip about that. And then shortly after, the wooden panels that had been covering the windows were taken down, and everyone could peer inside. They saw sofas and plump cushions start to appear and little sets of chairs and tables. And then, to everyone's surprise, they looked in one morning and saw that the back wall was entirely covered in plants. Ferns and ivy and herbs poured over the sides of little pots 
that were hung along the whitewashed wall, bright splashes of green that matched the counter that appeared the following day. The final touch, as if the new owner had been teasing the residents of Lower Starry Skies, was the name in glorious golden letters. The Dimpled Dumpling, it announced. And underneath, in a beautiful flowing script, it said, Cakes and surprises in all shapes and sizes. The grand opening was on a Saturday, and everyone came into the little cafe at one point or another. Aunt Tilly brought Beau for afternoon tea, and Sam, who works in the bookshop, popped in for his lunch break, and Mrs Bumble turned up with her cat, Snowball. Mr Featherman came and was delighted to see there were gingerbread cookies in the shape of garden gnomes. And even Mrs Woolingworth came in along with Mr Bartholomew, where they sat and talked about floral arrangements for the church, while eating delicate little roses piped so perfectly onto the tops of soft, fluffy sponge cake. And word spread around the village, and even up to Upper Starry Skies too, that the dimpled dumpling had the most fabulous cakes and buns and biscuits and doughnuts for miles and miles around. The owner and cake baker and server and washer-upper were one and the same lady, a tiny woman who wore her hair tied up in colourful scarves and who moved so fast she seemed to almost glide around the little cafe. She was called Uma and had come all the way from India to share her cakes with the world, or at least with the residents of Lower Starry Skies. Uma had heard magical tales of the small village on the edge of Sleepy Forest, and she had dreamed for years of moving there. Night after night, she had practiced her recipes, learning to make the most chocolatey chocolate cake and the creamiest cream buns and the stickiest sticky toffee pudding. And only when she was absolutely sure she was ready did she dare to make the move halfway round the world. Within a few days, everyone had fallen in love with the dimpled dumpling and Uma and her seemingly endless variety of colourful scarves. But it took a whole two weeks for anyone to discover what the sign on the shop front really meant. Cakes and surprises in all shapes and sizes didn't just mean cakes and cookies and buns. It didn't just mean you could bite into something that looked exactly like a strawberry and find it really tasted of banana. Nor did it just mean that if it was your birthday, Uma somehow knew and slipped you an extra sparkly cupcake. No, the surprises part of the sign meant something very different indeed, as a little girl called Emily happened to discover one day. Emily had visited the Dimple Dumpling with her grandmother. They settled into the sofa by the window the one covered in deep red velvet with gold tassels that brushed against the polished floor. And having established they were the temporary owners 
There was this very special sofa by covering it in bags and coats and gloves. They took it in turns to head to the counter and choose their afternoon treat. Emily's grandmother returned and said she had ordered the plum pudding with warm custard. And Emily almost said that it sounded wonderful and she would have the same. But then she decided to head to the counter herself. She eyed up the muffins and scones and thick slices of cake and finally settled on a croissant. Well, she didn't know what it was, really. So when Uma came with her pad of paper and pulled a pencil from behind her ear, ready to take down their order, Emily just asked for the pastry that looks like a crescent of moon. Uma beamed at her. What a wonderful choice, she said softly, before adding. And what would you like to drink with that? Emily usually asked for hot chocolate, ideally with extra marshmallows and a generous dollop of cream piled on top. But today something inside told her to go with tea. She was a little surprised to hear herself say she would have jasmine tea, please. Uma placed her hand on her heart and smiled down at the little girl sat beside her grandmother. The pastry that looks like a crescent of moon and a jasmine tea. Why, you've only gone and chosen today's magic potion. Emily smiled back at Uma, but was a little confused. Uma rushed to explain. Every day I pick a combination. I keep it as a secret, all to myself. And I wait for somebody to order that combination. And if somebody does, then I tell them a story all about their chosen cake. I've been waiting for two weeks for somebody to unlock the secret, and today you've done it. You're the first customer to find the magic formula. Uma had spoken loudly enough that everyone in the cafe could hear. And by the time she finished, all the people had put down their forks and their coffee cups, and there was no rattling of crockery and cutlery, and there was a special stillness in the air. As they all looked towards Uma, they saw a golden cloud settle around her shoulders and fall softly down her back and all the way to the floor. It was as if a golden cloak had appeared, and wrapped itself about the tiny lady. Uma closed her eyes, and everyone in the cafe shifted quietly to the edge of their seats. The plants on the back wall rustled with anticipation. And had anyone been watching the counter rather than Uma, they would have seen the small china elephant that stood in place there turn its head to face towards Uma, too. The wall lights dimmed themselves, and Uma began her story. Legend has it that long, long ago, in the days when dragons walked the lands and princesses lived high at the tops of twisted towers, a young baker was cycling his way to work. 
His name was Francois, and as was often the case, he was late. For, you see, bakers will arrive at work in the very earliest hours of the morning, preparing the bread and the buns every single day so that they emerge fresh and warm from the oven, just as everyone else is waking and wanting breakfast. So, even though Francois was late, it was still very, very early indeed. It was so early that, as he rattled along on his bike, one of those that is held together with string and hope, the stars and the moon were still in the sky. The soft light of dawn was just thinking about coming up over the horizon, but there were still little twinkles of silver here and there. The moon was just the tiniest sliver of a moon, one of those slices of a crescent that sometimes lies on its back and looks just like a golden hammock. Francois stared up at the moon, imagining what it would be like to sit and swing in a golden hammock and look back down on the world. And he quite forgot to look where he was going. For all of a sudden, with a splash and a crash and an oh my and a bother, he ended up in a pond. Water lilies rushed to get out of his way in time, and a frog, out for a peaceful early morning swim, dived into the muddy depths to escape being completely squashed by the young Francois and his rusted bicycle. Francois spat out a mouthful of pond water and lay on his back, floating beneath the sky that was now edged with pink as the sun crept slowly upwards. Wouldn't it be wonderful, he thought to himself, to make something to eat that was so perfectly curved as that little crescent moon? He got to his feet and clambered onto the side, reaching over to pull the bicycle from the pond. As he squelched his way towards the bakery, each press of the pedals releasing another spurt of pond water from his boots, he raced through recipes in his mind. By the time he arrived, Francois was beginning to develop a plan. He didn't want to create something that just looked like a crescent of moon. He had imagined what it might actually feel like, and he wanted something soft and light, with a little crunch for the outside and a dough that seemed as light as air inside. He ignored the comments of the other bakers, and brushed off his muddy appearance by explaining that a donkey had suddenly appeared in the road and pushed him into the pond. It was a slightly less embarrassing story than admitting he'd been so distracted by a narrow segment of moon that he had crashed into the pond all by himself. The others in the team were well used to Francois being late and could almost run the entire operation without him, if truth be told. But they liked the young boy and he did have some wonderful ideas sometimes. So they let him turn up late and disappear into daydreams. So when he asked if they could possibly spare him so he could try a little experiment, they exchanged knowing looks and smiles and said that, yes, he could use the old oven in the back to conjure something up. Francois placed a gleaming white apron over his soggy clothes and set to work pulling jars of flour and sugar from the shelves and taking a bright yellow pat of butter and a huge jug of milk fresh from the dairy. 
He poured and weighed and measured until he had everything he needed in the bowl. Then he kneaded and pushed and pulled and rolled all the ingredients together to make a soft ball of dough. Next, he rolled the ball of dough flat, pushing the corners out across the tabletop to form a huge rectangle. And now for the experiment. Francois thought that if he added butter to one half and then folded the dough back upon itself, this would create a sort of butter barrier. He did this again and again, leaving the dough to rest in between each layer of butter he added, folding and pushing it back into a rectangle, forcing more and more butter into his creation. The other bakers peered around the corner at times, curious to see what young Francois was up to this time. And they shook their heads and tutted and wondered what on earth he thought he was doing. Surely, they whispered to each other, surely all the butter would just pool and melt and pull the dough apart as soon as it hit the heat of the oven. All his careful folding and rolling, folding and rolling, meant that by the time Francois was satisfied with his work, he had carefully created a stack of dough that consisted of 81 layers. 81 layers of dough and butter that he carefully cut into a triangle and rolled into a crescent shape. He took one single small crescent and placed it gently in the oven. Sitting down in front of the door, to watch through the glass. He was sure his idea was correct, but just to be on the safe side, he crossed his fingers behind his back for a dose of good luck. And as he watched, he saw that he had guessed just right. The butter bubbled up and pushed the layers of dough apart. The crescent of pastry grew and grew, the air pushing it higher and higher. He left it in the oven long enough for the outer layer to turn darker and crispier, closing his eyes and imagining that gentle crunch of the outside leading down to soft, lighter-than-air dough on the inside. The scent that poured from the oven was like nothing the other bakers had ever known. They left their benches and their tables, left their loaves and rolls, and piled into the tiny back kitchen with the old oven to see what magic Francois was creating. They all gasped as he finally opened the door and removed a little crescent of pastry, a golden, swooping curve. Why, said one softly, it looks just like the moon. Francois grinned and nodded and said that was the plan all along, to pour the wonder of the universe into a single pastry. The most senior baker stepped forwards and reached out his hand. Francois placed the pastry there and watched as the baker bit it, everyone hearing the initial crunch and then seeing the softness of the insides. Hundreds of layers of dough, Thousands of pockets of air created a texture the baker had never known. Quite extraordinary, dear boy. Quite remarkable, 
he said to Francois, pointing to the remaining dough on the counter. And can you make more, do you think? Francois nodded eagerly, quickly slicing the triangles and rolling them into bundles ready for the oven. It was an immediate success, with people coming from villages miles away to be the first to taste the slice of moon. And that is the story of the croissant, for that is what it was called, you see. A croissant is a crescent of moon in French, and that is where Francois lived. That is, in my opinion, how this beautiful light treat came into being. You see, these things are often surrounded in myths and legends and stories that each seem as likely as another. This one's my favourite. Uma smiled shyly and looked up at the people in her cafe. The lights shone a little brighter once more, and the golden cloak seemed to fade from her shoulders. The china elephant on the counter sighed contentedly and turned his head back the rightful way, and the ferns and the ivy and the herbs on the wall gave a satisfied rustle. Emily's grandmother spoke for everyone when she leaned forwards and took the tiny lady's hand, quietly informing Uma that the story was enchanting, absolutely enchanting. Uma turned to Emily. And now I must, of course, get you your croissant and jasmine tea. She drifted back towards the counter as if nothing had happened, as if the world hadn't stopped for a few minutes while she had told the story of Francois and the golden hammock of a moon and how the croissant first came to be. The dimpled dumpling had been the talk of lower starry skies before that day, but afterwards, goodness, how quickly news can spread. When Aunt Tilly heard the news, she had a good chuckle to herself. Uma, she decided, was a very smart lady indeed. Not only could she bake the most wonderful cakes for miles around, she had also given people a very good reason to keep going back to the cafe. And because nobody ever knew what the day's magic combination would be, everyone would go back time and again, ordering things they might never have dreamed of ordering if they didn't think there was a chance for a little enchantment as well. Yes, said Aunt Tilly to Bo. She's a very smart lady indeed. And yes, she assured him, we will go there as often as we can, and maybe we too will be lucky enough to be in the dimpled dumpling someday when another story is told. And just like that, lower starry skies had transformed forever. Everyone talked about baking and cakes, 
and everyone passed around their own stories and secret recipes. Some of them searched high and low for the truth of Francois and the pond and the old oven at the back of the bakery. But try as they might, they couldn't find this written anywhere. Perhaps it was a story passed down by word of mouth, said some, and it was never written. Perhaps she just made it up, said others. Perhaps, said Aunt Tilly, wisely when Bo asked her what she thought. Perhaps it doesn't really matter at all. And she was probably right. As long as Uma made her wonderful cakes and told her magical stories and enchanted even the ferns and the china elephant, it wasn't so very important if the tales were real or not. She could make the world stop for a few moments and have people forget everything but the story that was unfolding right in front of them. And she gave them dreams of spun sugar and frosted icing and a rainbow of hundreds and thousands and of swinging softly asleep in a golden hammock moon.